Hi, Mark. Welcome back. Hi. Good morning, Adam. How are you? I'm perfect. Uh, great time. Uh, end of year. A uh, lo lot of stuff happens. You know, everyone would like to have the project uh, completed. So uh, it's exciting times. But um, Java is becoming serverless Java bigger and bigger. And what happens to me always if I uh, show uh, clients or whoever would like to see this, how actually easy it is to, to push monolith, Java monolith, as AWS Lambda, and how easy it is and um, how productive it is, um, I get actually, I get lots of attention. So this is what happens, you know, all the, all, all the year, lots of interesting, how to call it, serverless Java monolith or, or pragmatic serverless Java monolith on AWS. This is what I'm doing right now. Fantastic. What I also checked is the, um, um, or I was interested in, it was the uh, CRAC, which stands for Coordinated Restore at what? Co checkpoint. Checkpoint. I, I, I actually, I, I, I try, you know, to memorize this, but I always forget the last checkpoint. Is it the first one? Coordinated resource. Restore. Restore at checkpoint. Okay, crack. So crack is easy, um, but unusually, I cannot remember the acronyms without knowing what they mean. And the first time ever, I know the acronym, but I cannot, you know, <laughs> how to yeah. call it, expand it. Um, so um, my... So what I understand um, from 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 the OpenJDK crack project is actually proper OpenJDK crack project is this is the attempt to to hibernate the entire JVM somewhere and then restore it. This is my understanding, and of course there are some challenges because what happens with you know files and network sockets and, and whatever. So um, this is my understanding. This is somehow correct, right? Yes. So my understanding and, and limited as well. Is that the project is is aimed at reducing uh, startup times by creating uh, a snapshot or checkpoint of a running JVM and then restoring it later on. And that is the idea is that that resuming from a checkpoint will be faster than uh, starting, uh, loading, you know, JIT compilation, things like that. And I had already a conversation with the Azul people. And uh, what I also try to capture is the JVM optimizations. So what JVM already optimized is also going to be restored because um, yes. there was like you no know, C1 and C2 compiler and uh, the, the work done with C2 is also to, doesn't have to be repeated, right? This yes, is my understanding. yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, really important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, once your application is up and running and is, is you know, become, uh, you know, just in time compiled and all the hotspots, uh, been compiled, then you know that's a really valuable um, application state, mm -hmm. and to have that have that saved and restored from that point is uh, super super important, and, mm -hmm. you know, really beneficial from a performance point of view, and especially you know we're, we're talking about serverless uh, and serverless Java more and more, you know because we're creating lots of very small environments very quickly, and the startup time is really important. Mm -hmm. Um, exactly. So uh, what's maybe less known, or at least uh, people are still surprised if I, if I, if I show them this, is um, if you use, for instance, AWS Lambda, and you started the first time, there's the cold start. But all subsequent times, it is actually very similar to application server invocation. So the JVM gets optimized, so the optimizations are not lost. The only thing is, if you start, so how to, how to explain it? You cannot have two requests in one Lambda instance. So if, let's say, one, one invocation takes one second, and in this second you start another request, another Lambda will start, so you get another cold start. But all the 
all the lambdas gets optimized to the point that currently they are faster than GraalVM. So uh, what it means is uh, with pure JDK, you can actually save performance and so money. So this is uh, my current strategy. You know, just uh, just use uh, stock AWS Lambda and hope that Coretta will optimize, or hope, I measure that. So usually Coretta optimize better than GraalVM. And the reason being is because of the C2, I guess. Uh, so the observation is uh, the GraalVM optimizes once and the JDK or OpenJDK optimizes constantly. So th- that's the trick, right? Yeah, so... GraalVM can't do any optimizations from running code, obviously. It has mm-hmm. to do all of its optimizations uh, you know, at build time. Mm-hmm. There's, there's probably a gap, which GraalVM are definitely you know, um, uh, improving. That, you know, if you, if mm-hmm. you keep watching all their releases, the, the build time comes down and uh, performance generally improves uh, over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I, I have two ideas. So um, first question to you, actually. Uh, you have maybe you know it. So let's say I have uh, a JVM with I don't know 200 megs heap, and if I do, uh, if I would store the state of the JVM using crack, how big is the image uncompressed? Is it is it the same as the as the memory, or is it is it way smaller or way bigger, or what's what's the rough idea? I'm not sure actually. I haven't actually done any uh, work with crack. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a couple of my colleagues have done some some tests, mm-hmm. um, but I, I don't know for certain. Obviously, it's going to be more than that um, because I, I think it stores mm-hmm. everything, even even the, the lack of. Yeah, they, but I, I'm not sure, so I, I probably mm-hmm. shouldn't say. Okay. Um, also interesting, the GraalVM. Uh, if you do some, if if you if you compile the native image. I always, you know, I always not sure how to call it because uh, you have to, if you're creating, if you're building the native image, or so let's call it this way, uh, then you have to be curious, uh, curious to be cautious with um, something like uh, random, because if you use, for instance, the random classes, they are backed into the image, and and, and there there are some, you know, corner cases, and you get warned by that. The interesting part is a uh, crack is similar. It's not about hi- because before and after hibernation, you should also be aware uh, about the state because some state cannot be easily or should not be serialized. And what reminds me this of, I don't know whether you still remember, stateful session beans. There was EGB passivate and activate, two methods. And before a bean was passivated on disk, this was the state of the bean, you have to care about, you know, I have, you know, to uh, close whatever. And um, after a restoring, so this was after um, EGB activate, the developer was in charge of restoring all resources. And uh, if you look at the crack API, it is identical. So it is before restore and after restore. So yes. um, I actually will submit some more talks because in my last year or this year, there was one talk how... If you know EGBs, you know AWS Lambda, and it was well received. <laughs> and, and now I yeah. can do it. If you know stateful EGBs, uh, you will understand Craig better. So this will be the next next idea. Okay, but it gets better, right? So I think we covered Craig. This is what we can tell. But there is another thing called a snap start, uh, which is easier to remember. And this is not an acronym, which is actually a huge improvement. So w- what is snap start? So Lambda Snapstart, I guess you could consider to be a little bit similar to, to Project Crack. So AWS Lambda 
is going to be uh, a performance improvement feature for for first invokes or, or cold starts. So we're going to change up how Lambda works a little bit, and this will be an opt-in feature. So it won't work by default, and you'll have to do a little tick box on the function. But ultimately, what we're going to do is when you create a function version for a Lambda function with Snapstart enabled, we're going to take that code from your function and put it onto a separate worker and initialize your code. So just the normal uh, init phase. And after that's completed, we're going to um, snapshot the VM. And in our case, the VM and the VM technology that we use is a Firecracker VM, which is an open source project that, that AWS heavily contributes to. And we're going to take all of the processes, memory, disk state, uh, and persist that. And then we're going we're gonna to chunk up that, that image into small pieces. And we're going to save that in a multi-tiered cache so that we can retrieve that later you know, very fast. So that will be the, the, the part of, the, of Snapstart that happens once. So you create a Lambda function version. A snapshot is created. Once that has uh, finished, that process has finished, which might take a minute or two, you'll be allowed to invoke against that Lambda function version. Now, instead of that function version uh, having a cold start and creating a new execution environment from scratch, we'll restore the environment from the, the, the snapshot. Mm -hmm. So this will have all of your uh, classes loaded, any JIT compilation that's happened, and you'll immediately start from, from where you stopped, basically. Mm -hmm. um, and this is uh, a feature that is available at no additional cost, mm -hmm. which is fantastic. Um, so we're, we're hoping that um, people could see up to 10 times better uh, cold start performance with Snapstart. Mm -hmm. And uh, the one minute optimization also comes for free at the beginning. So if I, you know, if I uh, say uh, I deploy a new alias or new version of the Snapstart version of my AWS Lambda and it is going to be optimized, so this is also free. I'm not entirely sure. So when you when you create a function version, you will have a uh, an init phase, uh -huh. uh, and that will happen once per function version, and that can run for 15 minutes. That can run for the entire. Uh, duration of a normal Lambda function. So you can do whatever work you want to do at that stage. And that's all uh, just costed at the normal uh, Lambda okay. rate. Um, but in that period, you can you know go fetch things from S3 if you have a large data set, or you, know, you can do some other work, anything that you want to do in preparation for the snapshot to be taken. Mm -hmm. uh, what's, what's interesting is it, it seems to me like the, um, the crack happens only once, right? So it means on Lambda case, I have the before and and how it's called, before and restore, I think, right? After and before. So yeah. these listeners are called at publishing phase, right? Yeah, so so because we have a functionality that is, is doing snapshotting, we've chosen to, to adhere to the crack um, resource interface, mm -hmm. which is... Uh, interface that supplies the before and after methods. Mm -hmm. So when our runtime um, does a snapshot, um, we will call the before and after methods 
um, that you register using using the Crack uh, API. Mm -hmm. So if you have, for example, I don't know, a, a database connection, then you can use the 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 Crack API, and we're we're calling them the runtime hooks. Mm -hmm. You can use the before hook to to shut down any network connections, and then after snapshot, you can then reinitialize the network connections so that. The mm -hmm. snapshot doesn't have the idea that it has a, a connection open because obviously when it's resumed somewhere else, it won't have that network connection, and you'll go through a failure process of you know it thinking that there's something there, it tries it, it fails, and then it has to retry. Mm -hmm. What um, in the case of Lambda, are the is this crack happens only once, or if the Lambda becomes cold, is is checkpointed again? No. So once an execution environment has been created from mm -hmm. a snapshot, mm -hmm. it will it will run through its its life cycle as normal. So you will have a, a resume from snapshot. So the, the execution mm -hmm. environment is is ready. Then you'll have you know a series of invokes, mm -hmm. um, you know, one or more, or or mm -hmm. you know, many or not many depending on the traffic that you have, and then that execution environment will be terminated mm -hmm. um, for, for numerous reasons um, later on down the line. Mm -hmm. So there won't be any, um, there won't be any further restores for, the, for that environment. If the environment um, is no longer needed, then it'll be shut down, and you'll have the shutdown phase. Uh, but otherwise, um, if you need a new, another execution environment because your traffic is increasing, you'll just have another restore Yeah. So you'll have the restore from the same from the same snapshot. To the listeners, there's an interface called a resource with two methods after restore and before checkpoint. This is the two methods I um I uh we we're discussing right now. And um so so this is what I understood. So let's the process is um different. So I'm I'm pushing Lambda. There is a latest. So the latest version is never snap start. Snap no. started, not optimized. And uh, I have yeah. to create an alias and and uh, and version, and this is reasonable because for this version the optimization happens. So yes. for this version, um, the method uh, before checkpoint is called. What you told me right now, I could do I don't know S3 DynamoDB or whatever initializations, and even I could pre-warm the code. Right, I could actually run some for loops or whatever just to do you know my my critical path, which give me. Some ideas because uh, in my case it's interesting. I will have to boot somehow Quarkus, right? And uh, th this is this interesting. What to do? Because um, we are not using, you know, uh, so I'm, what I'm building most mostly monolith, and um, and uh, this is not my function. I'm registering. This is the function from Micronode or from Quarkus. And um, yeah, but we will cover this later because I know they're working on on the uh, on the uh, on the uh, Listener, so and now the interesting part happens. I pre-warm the thing; it is going to be persisted, and this is the only checkpoint all my lambdas are restored from. Uh, what's interesting my, right now? It was so. There's another method, you know, also before checkpoint again. So what it means: um, the lambda environment, your lambda environment, will never call before checkpoint again, right? Correct. Yes. But in version v2 of Snapstart. We could do this because you know if my lambda is warm, it runs longer in production. So all the optimizations happened. I mean the C2 optimizations, like no, it knows about my methods and whatever. And then you could call before checkpoint again 
So I could uh, I get you know the true optimizations, right? Then yeah, just an idea. Yeah, it's interesting. I'll uh, I'll have a think about that. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, you won't get the because you're you're handling you know normal requests from customers. Exactly. Your application will be in a different mm-hmm. state. Yeah, and this okay. is this is the ten percent optimizations I talk about, because uh, so I'm I'm maybe a little bit strange because um, I'm not building single purpose functions. So my current functions are roughly five hundred Java classes, and uh, I. Th- so my uh, observation is the larger the lambda, I, I mean, uh, the lambda is still fast. This is incredibly fast. It, I, because of Java, it, the amount of classes doesn't matter. But the more code I have inside, the better, I think, Hotspot can optimize, right? Because it understands all the paths between method calls. So it means, uh, this is what I what I try, you know, for me, it would be really hard at the beginning to invoke all the endpoints I have to invoke to simulate client traffic, and yeah. yeah, yeah. So we're we're calling that uh, priming. Okay. So um, you know, obviously, calling functionality within your application is is potentially uh, you know problematic. Yeah. Um, so obviously, it would be down to the developers to understand mm-hmm. what effect that would have. Mm-hmm. Um, but you could imagine, um, you know, calling you know maybe some some read only endpoint on your application, mm-hmm. and even though that doesn't um, you know, hit every code path or every execution path of your application. It probably doesn't matter as much as you think because you know your your application code is probably a small amount of code compared to the dependencies that you use or mm-hmm. or part of the JDK that you use. So you mm-hmm. know, if you're using uh, a serialization library or if you're using the AWS SDK, you know, initializing um, you know that that route. Means that you know all of the AWS SDK classes will be will be compiled. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know instead of being interpreted, they're going to be compiled, which is a which is a big difference. So I don't think people should think about um, snap starters. You know, oh, I have to um, you know exercise all my code paths before the snapshot, or all my application will be slow. If you do nothing, your application is actually going to be really fast. Um, but this is you know a geeky conversation between. Uh, to people about how to you know further optimize and, and the, the awesomeness that these new possibilities give us. Mm-hmm. What I tested uh, to the listeners, I actually tested uh, Stock Quarkus. So um, there is uh, the uh, my template which I use in all my projects. This uh, CDK template with Quarkus and MicroProfile. So this is what I like. So I always like to have a MicroProfile like uh, with some Java E parts environment. And uh, this was already a huge improvement. So I did nothing, basically. I deployed that, created a Snapstart version, and uh, the call start was down to 300 milliseconds or something uh, without any optimizations. So, yeah. um, But for my production environment, even if you are 5 to 10% uh, faster, it means, you know, 10, 10% uh, cost savings. So this is, uh, this, th- th- it is worth, you know, to think about this. But uh, I'm already happy without doing nothing. So, and I did another project. Uh, it was like uh, it's also on GitHub. This is uh, the uh, CDK Lambda plane, and what I did, I created a Lambda which reacts to HTTP plane events. So, um, also to listeners, the most common questions FAQ is: Can a Lambda have just one method, right? And and I, I, if I'm showing them that I have actually 100 endpoints, they say, okay, this is this is no difference to to Docker or to Fargus, I guess. You're right, so you can do whatever you like because 
You know, uh, there is one generic lambda which ships with Quarkus and it multiplexes the calls to Jaxorus methods. And because Quarkus is very efficient, it's very fast. So th th that's that's the thing. But um, what I what I did with the with the other part, I created a proper lambda which is asynchronous, which receives uh, the JSON event from HTTP two API gateway, and then I was able to play more with the crack. So and uh, what I did, um, uh, I, I so when the methods are called. And um, so, and with the S3 initialization, it was even faster. So the question to you is, why is the case? Because uh, S3 SDK optimizes internal network and then remembers the optimization. So why, if I call S3 once during the optimization phase, is it faster? And the, and the follow-up question is becoming also faster for DynamoDB and all the others because the they share the, the networking stack or what's the story behind? Yeah, so that will probably be an effect of um, the JVM being able to compile all of the SDK classes. Mm. It, it won't be to do with the, the networking stack. Um, I'm pretty sure that if you if you blew away the, the networking aspect or, you know, if, you, if there was a closed method or, or something uh, and you, you closed the networking uh, after you made that call in the before hook, I don't think that would make any difference. I think it is... Uh, the effect of compiling uh, our AWS SDK for that service. Mm -hmm. um, and that will um, be the same performance improvements for, for any service that you're calling. So if you if you are using an AWS SDK and you're able to uh, make a priming call for hook, that is uh, a good thing to do. Mm -hmm. uh, and that will mean that that's all compiled and ready for you and put into the snapshot which means that you won't have to do that compilation in in every execution that you execution environment that you have uh, thereafter okay so the trick is that uh, what happens then is that the, all the s3 and related classes sdk s s3 or dynamodb and the related classes are optimized uh, from jvm perspective it's not about the network stack no. and and uh, what it also means so I will have, if I use S3, DynamoDB, SQS, and SNS, this is better you know, to, to call everything because there are some shared state, but uh, SQS and SNS, they have different SDK parts, right? Uh, this is where I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. So a lot of our SDKs are generated. Um, so mm -hmm. I'm not sure how much... You'd have to do a little bit of testing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you used many um, different services, you might find that actually a lot of it. Mm -hmm. Is optimized just by one call, mm -hmm. um, but I'm not sure. I haven't I haven't tested that for myself yet. But be an interesting thing to show, to to see how much of of each service's code is shared. Mm -hmm. Another idea or, or or feedback. So what we are actually doing in all projects is um, so the lambda is shipped into one account, staging account. Then we use um, code deploy, actually code build in code pipeline, not code deploy, code build and code um, as stock code build to execute Maven, which executes system tests, which uh, were accessing the Lambda from outside. So what we, and if if everything is green, then the Lambda ships to staging or to production even. So um, what we could do actually is, uh, we could execute everything. So we have pretty good system test code coverage, so way above 80%. So what uh, um, what I would only need a hook at the end and say, now crack it, right? And then it could store the state and this would be perfect because in this particular case, I don't even have to do the trick, you know, with before checkpoint because it already knows about all my dependencies and all my monolith 
serverless projects are like this. So for me, it would be huge if I could, from outside, via SDK or whatever, or, or, or internal API, say, hey, please crack me now. Yeah, that's really interesting. It's, you know, you've got a really fantastic setup there. It's really, really cool, the integration test you're doing. Um, that's really good feedback. I'll, I'll, I'll take that back and um, we'll, um, we'll consider that. But at the moment, unfortunately, you can't do that. No, no, but so, I, I think yeah, it yeah, should that's be. Really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, when the, the Lambda function or the execution environment that is being snapshotted is never available. Um, so there's no way of accessing um, that environment. But mm-hmm. I, I get what you mean. That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Because uh, all my uh, projects are similar somehow. So there is um, either we use code commit or GitHub. In any case, uh, we install you know, the GitHub uh, application which calls code pipeline. And the code pipeline receives the, the source code and then, you know, usual stuff happens like unit tests, then integration quest with Quarkus. So Quarkus starts locally. Also, it is Lambda. It starts locally and we can execute all more sophisticated tests. And then uh, we use CDK uh, to uh, deploy Lambda. After the Lambda is deployed, which is fantastic because usually it's always the problem. You know, you don't know when it is deployed. With CDK or CloudFormation, it is synchronous. So after this, it becomes immediately available. And then we run system tests in a in a dedicated stage, and this is always so. Whether I use Fargate or Lambda, is always the same setup actually. And uh, so just feedback, also maybe interesting to the listeners because uh, we always start with system tests, interestingly, and the unit tests come afterwards. So all my projects come with really bad code coverage at the beginning because the system test is never measured. But at the end, you know, so we we start you know with end to end tests from outside. And then if the code becomes more complicated, from the complicated code, we write unit tests. So this is unusual, but uh, works perfect and you save time. Um, this is the feedback. What interests me right now, uh, where the state is stored? So is it in a region worldwide? If I start another Lambda, you know? Uh, yeah, so all, all of your data is always persisted within regions. So, so uh-huh. AWS will never move uh, customer data between regions. That's really important thing to know. Uh-huh. Um, so... The data is persisted within region, and then we have a, a series of uh, caches mm-hmm. um, within the AZ uh, and even even closer to the Lambda execution environments. And then when an execution environment is actually restored, we're actually only going to pull um, the, the small chunks that are required. So if you think of a, an entire uh, VM image, it's probably quite sparse, mm-hmm. and the bits that you actually need are probably uh, less so as a as a, a back end optimization, we're actually only going to pull the bits that we need. So that's why, and one of the reasons why you get a really fast mm-hmm. um, restore time. So what I understood is uh, from the image you are persisting, you are creating like uh, chunks which yeah. are uh, hashed or whatever, and you are able to reconstruct the entire image from the chunks. Yeah. So the way to think about it is that you know your your image is encrypted and AWS. Uh, stores that safely, but then when your execution environment starts operating, it's going to ask the the operating system mm-hmm. or, the, or the the disk driver for for mm-hmm. data, and that is that that process is going to is going to operate with the cache uh, and pull out just what's re- just what's needed. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is available on all availability zones, which for Lambda usually is transparent. So question: We sometimes running in enterprise projects uh, Lambda in a VPC. So not, you know, the, um, uh, then do I have to open a, a VPC endpoints or, or? No. So the, the limitations mm-hmm. um, 
on day on day one, obviously we're we're looking to improve this. Is that at the moment this is only available for x eighty six CPU architectures. Mm-hmm. So obviously we have x eighty six and ARM, mm-hmm. and that isn't the ARM side isn't available yet. And X Ray, uh, AWS X Ray, which okay. is uh, a service that we um, customers can use to do you know, tracing um, of applications. That isn't available yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of a VPC, VPC is available, and um, yeah, it's it's, it's a, a simple checkbox, um, and then uh, create a version of that of that application. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you, you touched on it uh, a little bit earlier. You were talking about um, uh, dollar latest, which if you're not familiar with versions, you might not have heard before in a, in a lambda context. But the way I would think about it is a is a lambda function is a is a mutable thing. So you can go into the console. You can change environment variables. You can change configuration items, um, and that, that's mutable. Um, when you're doing um, uh, snap uh, snapshots of a function, it's a, in a mutable thing. It's a it's a moment in time, mm-hmm. and that's why we're we're pinning the snapshotting process to a, to a function version. Mm-hmm. A lambda function version is immutable. You know, if you change um, an, an environment variable on an on a Lambda function, that doesn't mean that it's in a Lambda function version. A Lambda v- function version cannot have any of its config changed. So that's why we're, we're kind of pinning the two processes together. Mm-hmm. So if you want to change you know, a config item like the amount of memory um, a Lambda function has, you would need to change the, the memory on the Lambda function and then re-snapshot the, the function by making a new function version. Right, because the environment variables are outside and if you snap snapping the uh, lambda, it is backed in, right? Because yes. that's the okay. This is this interesting, right? Yeah. But still, it could work with latest. I think technically, because maybe you get a problem because if I push to latest, concurrency, concurrency issue may happen, right? For for a lambda and environment, because I could push at the same time, let's say to to two how to call it lambda execution environments, and for you is no way to distinguish between them. But if I do the versioning, then I have version one. And if the version one is not available somewhere else, so you know, okay, it's not available, I can pull it. I think this is the limitation because what you could do is if you push the Lambda to latest, you could always crack it or snap snap it, snap start it, right? So you could say, okay, the, uh, the latest is going to be always snap started. And if I change the environment, so then a new latest will also be snap started. So I can do like, you know, uh, Git main always go forward well, without branching. Yes, but you know, unfortunately, that's where we run into the the pragmatic of, of the process. So, so ideally, that would be fantastic. But the, the snapshotting process isn't um, you know, an infinitely small um, operation. So, when you create a, a function version, we have to start this process. Mm-hmm. We have to create an execution environment. We have to. Um, you know, initialize your code, and then we have to persist that snapshot and, and get it ready for the first invokes. So, um, if you go onto the console, you'll see that that function version goes through a number of states. Mm-hmm. When you when you start the creation process, it will go into a pending state, mm-hmm. and you won't be able to invoke that lambda function until it is in an active state. Mm-hmm. So, we wouldn't want to do the same thing with latest. We wouldn't want to say, you know, you've changed the world. And then you have an inconsistent uh, idea of what's going to happen. You know, 
if you if you change something and we haven't you know we haven't done the snapshotting process we, we, what would you what would the expected outcome be would you expect an invoke on an old system or a new system exactly and when would that change ever happen you have the problem so if you push to production so the uh, the latest then it's already pushed but the optimization process can take two minutes and you have no idea when it finishes so um, yeah. in meanwhile you could call the old latest without knowing where the first call in the new latest happened. So this would only work behind load balancer or something like this where we can, uh, load balancer is also critical because load balancer doesn't know between two latest. You are right. It is pragmatic, yes, but it's less, in some critical production systems could be very prob- uh, problematic, right? Yeah, so we, we just, we would prefer it to be, um, you know, specific. So we want it to be very uh, specific what is happening. So. Um, you can change your integration from from API Gateway, um, you know, targeting version one to version two. You always know what's going to happen. You know, as soon as the API call returns from API Gateway that you've changed that integration, you know that is that is mm-hmm. the situation. Um, and, and I feel like that's a much uh, safer approach. Yeah. And you know, obviously the developer experience is a, is a little bit more strenuous because you have to you know uh, use function versions. But hopefully the the feature is attractive enough that yeah that's a an easy step to follow yeah um, another idea just you know uh, you are probably aware of the snapshot is an interesting name Maven snapshot right release so what we could do we could actually add, add, add another thing so we have latest remains the same and we could have a snapshot version which is latest inconsistent snap started versions right so if someone uses let's say uh, the uh, snapshot version dollar snapshot, then it will be to me okay. This is you know my own responsibility. I push to snapshot, and after two minutes somehow it becomes available because it will be easier for development and uh, for production. If someone uses this, I mean okay should use. I mean no difference to auto deployment of application servers. You know five years ago this auto deployment was the same problem. You deploy something and in one point of time becomes available was not meant for production. But developers love that. So I would say something like this could be interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I haven't thought of that. That's really interesting as well. This is great. (laughs) Great feedback, Adam. And um, what I also noticed, there is provision concurrency. And the provision concurrency works the same. So you cannot have provision concurrency on latest. So you have to create alias. So this is at least consistent with the snapstart. But uh, I also wondered the same, you know, with the provision concurrency. I was like, why are they not doing something like a snapshot or whatever? So I I just move forward and they should keep doing. With CDK, not a problem at all to say like two lines more. But uh, if I started with it the very first time, I asked myself, you know, why? This is somehow strange. Uh, And then I said, okay, if it is like it is, then I'd just do it. But there was uh, also no confusion, stack overflow, and everywhere. So it seems not to be transparent that you cannot have provisioned concurrency just out of the box for latest. Yes, and I think you know, hopefully, podcasts like this and and uh, blogs and other content that we produce will help people to understand that process and why we've made that decision and uh, and the benefits of of having versioning. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll we'll see. Yeah, it's um it's the same functionality that's. You know, we haven't made new functionality. It's the same. It's the same kind of function states that is used uh, in provision concurrency, and obviously, you know, people are already using function versions to do, mm-hmm. you know, like blue-green deployments or canary deployments or, mm-hmm. or things like that. So, so we're hoping that you know the people who are new to function versions, you know, can see the the new content that we're producing, um, 
and uh, understand that it's a it's a valuable mm -hmm. uh, feature. Mm -hmm. uh, and obviously, the people who are already using it will just be familiar with it. And you know, if people are, are using provision concurrency already, then they might be people who would be really interested in in uh, snap start. And obviously, the, the transition would be quite easy. Mm -hmm. What provision concurrency is, uh, you basically say how, how many uh, lambdas you would like to have. And they uh, instances. And if you choose to have one instance, means you know at least one process at time is always warm. Warm is means it behaves like uh, Docker or ECS or Fargate is always on. And... Uh, From cost perspective, so I try to you know my 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 setup in um, this. Of course, depends on region, whatever. But in Frankfurt, with uh, with Quarkus and one CPU, is roughly 14 euros, 10 euros a month, so uh, around that. So I would say it's absolutely worth it. You know, instead of running Kubernetes, I could just run this. Uh, as as for some projects, it's just perfect. Um, so if you have um, more traffic, I can choose to have two lambda. So there are no two. And by the way, it is almost identical to pooling of EJBs. I mean, not almost, it is identical. So if you know EJBs, uh, this is exactly the same. So from the from from the, from the this perspective, what's interesting, Mark, is uh, I didn't knew that. I look at the calculation. So if, if, if provision concurrency is on, subsequent calls are cheaper. So yes. what can actually happen? This is actually, you know, the hidden secret. Uh, I don't know why no one is talking about that. So what can happen to you if you have heavy traffic? You can, could potentially save money with provision concurrency. Yeah, it's interesting because, um, you know, I've, I've written a few small medium articles. You know, they're, they're not as high quality as the, as the AWS articles that I write, but they're, they're about things that, um, you know, maybe I don't think people know about. So, you know, I, I write them about specific, you know. In show notes, they will put everything you wrote, Mark. Yeah. So I actually wrote a, a medium article about this a couple of years ago about the you know the, the other feature of provision concurrency. So a lot of people talk about it as a as a, an optimization process, but it's also um, I would think about it a bit like EC2 reserved instances. Yeah. So with EC2 reserved instances, you're you're basically telling AWS that you will you will use this um, resource for an amount of time and in return you get a lower price mm -hmm. for that and it's the same thing with provision concurrency obviously on a, on a much tighter um, uh, time scale because with provision concurrency you don't have to sign up uh, for for a 12 month contract or anything like that so um, provision concurrency can be changed at any point to any amount uh, up and down so there's no kind of a, a tie-in like there is with EC2. Um, but yeah, when you when you use provision concurrency and you say I want X execution environments to be available all the time, you are paying a, a fee for that, mm -hmm. for that to be made available. Mm -hmm. But when you use that execution environment, it's actually cheaper than effectively the on-demand price. Mm -hmm. So if you have a stable, if you have a, a, a stable traffic going through a lambda function, you should absolutely be looking at provision concurrency one because you will have a an improvement on latency, but two, you will have a reduction in cost as well. Mm -hmm. Which is, yeah, because um, I read lots of criticism about that. Say, okay, uh, provision concurrency is not really uh, serverless, but I have to say, I don't care, right? So I, I, <laughs> I, have, I have my Lambda, I, I, I create another alias, and then either I don't have a call start or, uh, or I, no, I can go to the calculator, I see the, the, the point, I go to my client, say, look, if we spend 14 euros a month, there is no call start for one thing. For enterprise project, I would say, This is the best solution ever. If I would create, I don't know, uh, online, uh, or, or if I would like to replace Twitter, 
then maybe I have to, to think differently. But for all my enterprise project, it's just working great. So this is what I can feedback I can give you. So this is, yeah. you, you should be always careful, you know. Um, you, ha- you have to know the context because sometimes I yeah. say something and people don't know that I'm mostly working with boring enterprise projects. And they say, okay, this doesn't make sense what he says because it, Lambda could be too expensive. Of course, if I'm calling Lambda a thousand, uh, a thousand times per second, an EC2 machine is going to be a what uh, way more uh, um, cost effective. The problem, of course, is I have to set up the entire EC2 machine, right? So this is always the trade-off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is I think this is the difficult part. You know, when we're talking about you know fourteen dollars for provisioning currency for a month, obviously, you know, probably our salaries <laughs> are going to be way more yeah. way more of a factor. And I think companies find it hard to put that into into the equation, right? Mm-hmm. So when we're talking about EC2 versus Lambda, you know, EC2 is you know a single a single host, and, you know the maintenance of that host but lambda is you know a multi multi-tenanted uh, highly available system across three available to these zones with mm-hmm. input low balancing and there's all sorts of additional features that is very hard to to cost in in, in a comparison yeah let alone the time of a developer so yeah when when uh, you have a a function that receives an amount of traffic it's very easy to turn on provision concurrency and have a, a more consistent uh, execution environment mm-hmm. uh, for probably a lot less than uh, the cost of the the development time, but you know, hopefully, with Snapstart being effectively free, there is no cost to it. Mm-hmm. You'll also have you know another uh, section of applications that will work perfectly well without provision concurrency, and Snapstart will just be um, able to resume environments fast enough where you don't even need to consider provision concurrency. So. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where we, you know, we'd love to hear feedback from people. You know, what what are people running? What, you know, are they able to run new things because of Snapstart? Are they able to change the way that they use provision concurrency? Yeah, we're, we're really interested. Mm-hmm. But it does make any sense to mix both, right? I, I mean, there is no use case for provision concurrency and Snapstart. Um, at the moment, there's no way to use the two features yeah. together. If I think of a, a use case where I have a very very spiky system. And I want provision concurrency to to happen really quickly. Then you know maybe um, provisioning environments from snapshots would be would be better because potentially I could do some some JIT compilation and have that ready. But at the moment that isn't available. But again, we'd love to hear feedback from people. And so there is a use case, Mark, right now, because what you could do with that is uh, provision concurrency one instance, and uh, and this is already uh, snap started, right? So if there is more traffic than one instance, the new instances could work with Snap. So you get a, no ultra-low latency for the first one because it's just running JVM. And if the, in the spikes case, you get you know the optimizations like 300 milliseconds called start with uh, Snap start. So I think the mix could be great. So for, for one instance and only one instance doesn't make sense, but with one instance as for base traffic, and you know all subsequent instances for the spikes. It makes absolute sense. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, very interesting. And yeah, with you know, uh, I'm on Twitter. You know, if you're trying this feature out, and uh, you know, you yeah, I will send you some tweets after the show. So do. yeah, yeah, <laughs> love to hear, love to hear from people who are trying this out and mm-hmm. you know, thinking the way that Adam's thinking. You know, what's what's in the new possibilities with this functionality? Yeah, definitely. Um, just feedback, unrelated feedback, because um, last week there was an internal workshop where uh, they asked me you know, about uh, serverless and whatever. 
And uh, I think what companies still underestimate uh, large enterprises is that they think cloud is easy. And uh, what they also were surprised that I spent some time talking about, you know, CDKs and and DevOps. They say they didn't they didn't expect it from me to to see, you know, uh, this. I say okay, but but this will be a huge lie. Actually, you, you will spend a huge amount of time, you know, fiddling with the cloud with um, and and uh, with the lambda. Um, it is the less the, the least amount of fiddling actually because um, if you even so would like to have and in the current environment you know security and all the problems we have so if if you would like to run uh, EC2 machine because you mentioned it earlier it is not about the EC2 machine so you have the EC2 machine but you have also to 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 decide to to run operating system on it so. Whatever you decide is wrong because you know there is a different security up, uh, uh, um, department in a company. They say okay, you should use this operating system, whatever. The next question is how you will like to patch the operating system. So we have the operating system, and uh, and we Java developers we actually really don't care about the operating system. So there's the next problem. So if you decide to use Docker, what I did, I did, or uh, what I still do is end of year lots of code reviews. So in typical microservice architecture in Java, has nothing to do with AWS, just typical project, which is Docker. If you review the Docker file, you will find in the from statement for every Docker file, possibly a different super image. So there is Alpine Linux, UB8, uh, from whatever. Um, And the problem is, this is security risk. There is one, but there is, I mean... To pass, you know, the, the, the comp- there is a compliance risk. What can happen is then what department or company is like, what's he is doing? We have to stop it or, or do something about that. So this is actually the higher risk than the potential security risk. So developers need, you know, some blessed super Docker image somewhere in company's repository and work against it. So that's the next thing. So now we now we know have the Docker. And then we have a Java. So the developer has to choose which JDK to choose from. So depending on company, different strategy. You know, Red Hat, JDK, uh, Zulu from 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 uh, from uh, Azul Systems, um, Open JDK, Oracle JDK, lots of JDKs, and this JDK has to be patched. So it means if there is a critical patch in the JDK, you will have to you know create the Docker image with the recent blessed you know Docker super image and the JDK, and don't forget all the certificates or whatever has also been inside the Docker. So and now we just you know talk about Docker, which is a lot of boring stuff. And then we got you know the VPCs, which are uh, and if you have VPCs, you need security groups. And um, then we have a what happened to me, right? We have Quarkus. If you are if you are on premise, you can call the Quarkus via load balancer. But in the cloud, everyone expects from you security in transit. So you have to install SSL certificates in the Docker image, which are accessible from Quarkus, so that the load balancer will call you Quarkus. So, if I show Lambda, I say what I only have to do right now is is to use JDK eleven. So and and I explain them I'm not shipping JDK. I just telling use JDK eleven. Or what I do right now I use a great Java seventy Lambda layer from from Mark somewhere from GitHub. It works great. But um, so th- this is the 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 um, uh, the two options. But the JDK eleven and this is basically it. So there is no operating system, no Docker, and so forth. So it means in the last two years, I'm not using Docker anymore. And what this reminds me, early days of Java. This is exactly what I, what I, how I started, right? We installed JDK. There were not uh, a lot of updates, so it just stick on my machine for three years. And then I had my application server, and I just worked. So f- 
so and this is the part which is somehow not understood by Java developers that uh, if you use AWS Lambda, let's say, there is no additional plumbing. So yeah, absolutely. I, I think that that conversation between the the developers and the, the security team, I think is is really important. You know, mm -hmm. the developers can maybe help educate mm -hmm. um, you know people who are new to the cloud and mm -hmm. say, you know, look, uh, AWS Lambdas run on Amazon Linux. Mm -hmm. Amazon Linux is, you know, maintained by by AWS. Exactly. You know, if if you can say that you are happy with the with the AWS team maintaining Amazon Linux and you trust that that will be patched, and often, you know, we, we are part of a disclosure process for for critical vulnerabilities. So often we we are able to um, patch Amazon Linux before you know some of the vulnerabilities are. Mm -hmm. Are announced. If you if you can be on board with that, then you know yes, you can you can you know have that security maintenance handled by AWS. And in, in the same way, if you if you're able to say you're happy with Amazon or AWS, sorry, um, maintaining uh, Coretto eleven mm -hmm. a standard that you're you're happy with, then again you can take that and say you know as part of the process, I'm just going to deploy my code mm -hmm. to an uh, a lambda managed environment, and yeah, that 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 process and that headache is 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 quickly taken away. Which, you know, which is why I'm you know, really interested in, in serverless and and having these managed services. You know, it just means that I can <laughs> get back to what I want to do, um, which was always you know what really interested me about about serverless and lambda when I was a when I was a customer of AWS. Yeah, and, and I'm now a customer for AWS, and, and how, how, how I see this, um, either I stay on-premise, but if I go to cloud, then I would like to use the cloud. Because if I go to cloud and just you know, fiddle with the infrastructure, I don't get the point why I'm in the clou cloud in the first place. And, um, and um, security, let's say, so if I really would like to have Lambda, because, uh, okay, so to the Java developers, also interesting, what we're actually doing, I, I forgot this actually to mention. So if the system tests are passing, what we are doing, we are we are deploying the Lambda to a common S3 bucket and all other Lambdas are getting, you know, the version from the S3 bucket. So it's not like we are shipping the Lambda over and over again. So it's like there's very similar to Maven. So there's one zip, there's everything inside and all the Lambdas can take, you know, the zip. This You can you can automate this with CDK for Java. This is completely automated, by, by the way. So what... um. Because it's so convenient, I mean, yeah, this is so convenient. Everything is Java, go to GitHub, you will see this actually, uh, five lines of code, you can ship, ship the Lambda. If I would like to have it, you have to explain it to management somehow. So, and I think, I never I never argue, you know, with scalability, whatever, because really no one cares. So, I mean, if, if someone, you know, if, if you look at the most Kubernetes installations, they are usually expensive, I have to tell. So, and uh, what I already saw, there was a, a, a microservice which run on the half a CPU. I said, okay, well, what are you doing here? I said, yeah, it's expensive. So, but okay, but I mean, okay, forget it. So if something is, um, so, and if you, if you uh, consider security, what I found, for instance, that the firecracker you mentioned and the entire stack is actually more secure than Docker. Um, I, I cannot actually, I cannot, uh, how to call it? I cannot understand all the technical details because I didn't do the research. But it is not the point. I go to my clients and I point to the paper and say, this is my information. And because of the so-called shared responsibility model, which usually management knows about, now if I use serverless, 
Amazon have to take, or AWS have to take, what, what is actually Amazon or AWS? How to, the shutters, you know, how to, is this AWS or Amazon? So you, AWS. AWS. So then AWS has actually to take more responsibilities. So all the VPCs, operating system, whatever, now is AWS in charge. And now the question is, you know, um, uh, the question is, um, how, how good are they? It's like, okay, this is not my point, it's a contract. You know, 10, 15 years ago, there was a contract between WebLogic, Sun, Microsystems, whatever. This was the contract between my clients and the application service providers. And now the clients get support from AWS and they have to, you know, I'm just a small developer. I, I cannot actually, you know, double check the entire stack. I, I'm like, this is a contract. So you would like to go to AWS. So we should just use it. Otherwise, we don't go there, right? And, yeah, uh, I think, mm-hmm. I think that's you know, really interesting that the, the demarcation that the Docker uh, and, and containers have a different isolation profile to virtual machines. Mm-hmm. And although, you know, execution environments start really quickly, people might think that there is, you know, a lesser isolation. But this is, this is a, a Lambda function is, is a bare metal machine mm-hmm. running a, a virtual machine and, you're, and the firecracker of a virtual machine mm-hmm. Is what runs your your code. Mm-hmm. Very strong isolation level. I've I've put a link in the in the chat. Mm-hmm. This is um, a reinvent talk from a few years ago um, about Lambda under the hood, and from a from a speaker called Mark Brooker, mm-hmm. and it goes into a, an amazing levels of detail about the isolation level mm-hmm. um, and how we've um, you know really reduced the attack surface at every level. Mm-hmm. So it's a, another like under uh, underappreciated feature that a Lambda execution environment is also highly, highly secure. You know, you, you can't just make um, you know calls to the environment. There's only one way mm-hmm. uh, to, to to make uh, a call to an execution environment, and that is to use the invoke API, mm-hmm. which is how we, we how we interact with Lambda. Mm-hmm. There is no other mechanisms. There's no open ports. There's no you know. There's nothing nothing to target. So it's it's a very different execution environment to you know a container platform where the biggest impact I had uh, argumenting with management was there was a you know there was a huge session and they talk about how well we scale or whatever and what I said is we are running in Frankfurt I did some research and what I found out that the uh, region in Frankfurt is like almost CO two neutral like eighty five percent whatever there is the, there is an official paper say okay there is uh, uh, renewable energies whatever like this cool so. And uh, then I say, okay, then we are, you know, uh, very energy efficient, sustainable, and almost CO2 neutral. And this was the tagline everyone remembered. So we were actually the heroes because, and I think it's also um, what I found out, it's actually funny for us developers, but it's, uh, the companies have actually to point out, you know, CO2 consumption is going more and more, uh, more and more important. And with AWS Lambda, we get it out of the box so this is actually a huge for marketing, huge edit for marketing right now. If you're if you're doing this, you are automatically greener, you know, than servers running all the time. And um, so this, this is my, my final, you know, a tip to Java developers who really would like to have a Lambda uh, for simplicity reasons. Um, this was my trick, and this worked the best actually. Uh, but you should not, you know, uh, argue with scalability because we argued for years, you know, and it, it, that that's maybe the problem. But um, nice tip. I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll remember that. Um, what um, we covered Snapstart pretty well, right? Yeah, I think so. I think um, it's not as uh, complicated as a feature uh, as some others. It's yeah, very simple to get started. 
You don't have to change your code. It's a function level uh, config item. So it's a, effectively a tick box. Uh, so enable that on your function, create a function version, and then use that function version um, as your integration point. So if you're using API Gateway, mm -hmm. um, integrate with the function version, not with the with the ARN to the to the function. Or if you're using some other uh, services, make sure that you're you're pointing to the specific version, and then you will see um, that your functions. Um, uh, go through a different life cycle. So you'll see in your logs, you'll see restore log lines, mm -hmm. and you'll see, um, yeah, hopefully a really, really uh, cool uh, performance increase. Mm -hmm. And uh, a tip, what I did, um, you can register um, um, a Lambda with function URL if you have a synchronous HTTP Lambda as Quarkus, let's say, and you can have both active at the same time. So the latest is going to be the recent Lambda, which is not snapped, and you can have at the same time a version which is snapped. So you get two URIs back, and then you can perform some, some tests and you will see the difference. What about your reInvent talks? What, what are yeah. the titles of your sessions? I'm just curious. <laughs> so I've, um, I'm lucky enough to have, have three sessions at reInvent this year, um, but only one of them will be recorded. So I'll have a workshop that I'm doing uh, at reInvent, which is um, from serverful to serverless Java mm -hmm. on Lambda. So this is about how to take applications that, that may have been on containers or EC2 or on-premises uh, and how to bring them and adapt them and bring them to Lambda. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have a uh, level 400 talk, which is like the most in-depth technical talk about uh, effectively using Java on Lambda, mm -hmm. which is a little bit about you know really detailed uh, considerations for Java, but also um, it's going to talk about GraalVM and uh, CDK. Mm -hmm. um, and then I'm going to have a session on Snapstart, and that will be recorded. Um, so if, if people want to hear hear again and hear about uh, Snapstart again, that should be recorded and made available in the, in the week, weeks coming. Okay, very good. So we have to talk about the other sessions in the podcast in the future. Yep. Very good. So where people can find you on the internet? Yeah, the best place to find me is probably on Twitter. Mm -hmm. So um, hopefully it'll be in the show notes, but uh, yeah. MarkDales3 is me on Twitter. And yeah, I'm, I'm trying to be as active as I can on there. So if you're trying any of this new functionality and um, you know, you've got your feedback, um, good or bad, you know, I'd love to hear it. Okay, perfect. Thank you, Mark. Cheers, bye.